Welcome to another message from Citizen Heights. We are located in the nation's capital, where our heart is to inspire hope, remove limitations, and help you experience God's possible for your life. Join Pastors Michael and Heather Giroux in their passion to help you live your best life. We hope you enjoy today's encouraging and uplifting message. Essential, the microphone. Good morning. I was so caught up in the news. It's like, wow, we're busy. Yeah. And I'm just so full of like appreciation for our whole team here. I could just, yes, yes, I could just go on and on. It's, it's true. I could go on and on about every single person that was serving up here on our worship team. And um, pastors David and Guyana Davila, who are so amazing. And God has really blessed us, yes, with such incredible leaders. And every single one of our team members is a leader in their own right. And man, am I thankful and humbled to be a part of that and what God is doing. Amen? The local church is, our local church is just a part of what God is doing across the planet. Isn't that amazing to think about? That we have a part to play, and it's such an honor to serve the kingdom of God in a tangible way. And so I just wanted to add that in. So welcome online campus, wherever you're joining us from. We're so excited that you're with us, and today hopefully has already been a blessing to you, and we're excited to dive into the word now here all together in Tenley Town, yeah? Y'all look beautiful. You're all ready. I'm with you, Guyana, on the topic of spring. Bring it. Okay. We are ready. (laughs) So, okay. Well, today we're going to continue our awakening series, Revival is Near. We're talking about spiritual revival, right? Personal awakening. Are you hungry for God this morning? Yes. Well, I'm excited. Week one, we talked about some of the history and the past um, of revival, some of the history of, of throughout church history of how revival happened and the condition of our own hearts in the midst of that. And that was awesome, week one. Week two, we talked about the purpose of revival, and that was all about repentance. And I think if there's one thing I took away from that message, it was that repentance is not a once-and-done thing. Amen? Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was once and done, but us working out our heart attitude with God is daily. Isn't it amazing? The Bible says his mercies are new every morning, and every single day I can come to God and ask for his his blood to cover me. I mess up so much, don't we all? (laughs) We need repentance every day, fresh repentance. His mercy is new every day, and no matter what yesterday was like, today is a new day in Jesus. Amen? We don't have to actually wait for Easter Sunday to receive that. It's an everyday thing, and so keeping repentance A part of our daily walk with God is powerful. And then last week, week three, the person of revival, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is and his role in our lives. And I know if you missed that one, you're going to want to go back. Any of these, actually, you're going to want to go back and look online. We have them for you in our... um, On our website, just make sure you catch up because it's been, this is where God is taking us, amen, as a church right now. This is what God is speaking to us as a church. And it's amazing because as I kind of 
hear from people from other churches. I'm finding out that so many people are talking about the same thing. Maybe not the same title, maybe not exactly the same, you know, verses and stuff, but man, God is doing something very unique and very holistic across the whole face of his church, and it's exciting to be a part. So today, I want to talk to you about revival once again. I want to talk to you about the posture of revival, and as I was thinking about this topic, it really brought me back to my childhood. Um, I was raised by pastors, my dad and mom, they're um, church planters and pastors, and we grew up in northern New York, not upstate. This is a different planet called northern New York State, okay? That's where I grew up, and um, and we lived in, in the, the largest county east of the Mississippi called the St. Lawrence County. And it's very farming, rural, you know, totally a fit for me, if you know me. Um, and so there was a lot of little small towns in there, like Clarkson University and some other um, cool universities up there. So call it little college towns, but very rural in between and pretty small towns. And so my dad would just, just had it in his heart. He got saved in the 1970s in the Jesus movement at Brockport State University. He was the beer coordinator for his co-ed dormitory. And he is still the funnest guy you'll ever meet. Uh, but fun for Jesus. So anyway, he, <laughs> he felt a call to ministry. So he started studying the Bible and he started serving and um, he started planting churches, and he was ordained in a ministry um, when I was one year old, and I'm not one year old anymore. Now, I'm going to be 48 in a couple months. Yeah, so a lot of years, raised up in church, and we would go, for, he would go from town to town, start a church, build a building, like crazy, raise money, build a building, set up a leadership team go to the next town, start a church, raise up a team, go to the next town. This is before multi-site. This is before any of that was a thing. We didn't have technology. We couldn't like connect point to point or stream live. So it was literally like stagger worship service times and go from town to town and preach the gospel. And I was lucky enough to tag along with him a lot of times and go from church to church and that's where I think as a young girl, I fell in love with the church. I fell in love with just being a part of what God is doing and what God is building. And there came a point in his ministry where we had this um, conglomerate, like this group of people that was growing from Canada that were coming over. Now my town, where I grew up mostly from like age nine on, was called Messina, New York. And it is, you know, 11,000 robust human beings that live there. And... <laughs> It was great, right? Seven miles from the Canadian border. And it's a cute little town. It is. But anyway, so we had people coming from Canada to come to our church. And that number was growing, growing, growing. So, of course, my dad, you know, was like, all right, it's time to go start a church in Canada. And so one of the ways that he went about that is uh, one summer... We do interest meetings now, you know? But he was old school. This is like way... This is what I would be consider, consider, you know, hanging 10 in the church world. He, instead of interest meetings at a nice little, you know, coffee shop, uh, had to go big. So he, would, he rented some waterfront property near a park. 
and he rented a tent and he filled that tent with chairs end to end and our whole team from New York came over this is before 9-11 when you could pretty much go into Canada with like no ID or anything it was crazy back then for all the young people uh, yeah so anyway we would go over to Canada all the time it was not an odd thing to go over there and like eat food or go shopping or whatever so anyway we went over set this tent up and we we weren't we weren't southern okay we're from New York so we didn't call it revival because that's too that's kind of being too uh, presumptuous about telling God when he should move so we didn't call it revival that's a joke guys my dad called it tent he called it tent meetings I'm just being honest this is how I grew up tent meet we're having tent meetings and so he would we would go and we would loud music Michael was a kid he was part of the worship band back then my husband loud music playing worship music preaching the gospel we'd usually invite in a guest preacher this would go on for at least a week every night we were everyone was there every night you know nope think of the time you would save if you weren't on your phone that's how we lived back then right no email no social media tent meetings okay so we're there and we're worshiping and people start getting saved giving their hearts to Jesus right and my dad modeled this just kind of spiritual hunger thing so well for me loving the church and just he just he was just crazy enough to think gosh you know if we can create space for God to move then God's gonna move because that's the God that we serve he loves us right he loves us and he desires relationship with all people he doesn't have a particular favorite few. He loves everyone. And if we can just create a space, if we can just get them to come, then God's going to move, right? And that was modeled so obviously through this tent meeting chaos. Of course, I was in middle school at, at this time too. Like we were still having them when I was 11. And I remember being slightly more embarrassed than when I was a little girl. But, um, right? <laughs> Awkward middle school. Anyway. But he modeled this so well, and I never lost that excitement to see God move in people's lives. And it's so powerful, right? And today I want to talk to you more about that posture of revival. And of course, we know that revival is dependent upon a tent or a bunch of chairs or rented space. Revival starts here. It's the space that we create for God here. It's the idea that, man, if I can just take some time and make some room for God to move, if I can just rid some of the distractions out of my way that, you know what, God is going to meet me right where I need him to meet me. And so on the topic of, of revival, uh, the posture of revival, I want to specifically talk to you about two key components of, the, of revival that I think are so important. And the first one is spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger, you know, Growing up in church, um, you know, no church is perfect, and of course, our churches weren't perfect. And sometimes you can see, you know, around us in our world that sometimes we replace a relationship with Christ for just plain old religion, right? And the idea of spiritual hunger becomes something that as human beings, we have to work hard at. We have to cultivate it, right? We have to somehow create this longing. And No, if you Google spiritual hunger right now, if you Google it, this is what will pop up. The sense 
that your life is lacking purpose, passion, pleasure, or joy. There's a dullness in your soul. You desire for more, but you just are lacking the resources to make it happen. I think this lives in all of us. I know that we are born this way as human beings. You know, maybe you're here today and you're having trouble turning the page on a new season in your life and finding a new sense of purpose. It happens to all of us. The world will try to tell you it's called midlife crisis, but it isn't. We all go through it different times, different ways. It can look different for you than it's going to look for me. But at the very foundation of it, at the very heart of it, it's spiritual hunger. Hunger for, if you grew up in church, right? They would say, there's a, there's a God-sized hole in your heart, a place that only he can fill. But I'm telling you, what they're trying to communicate is that you and I are, are created beings. We are body, soul, and spirit. One part seen, two parts unseen. And we live in a physical world. And, and, and we know that if we were to sit here and talk about physical hunger, we understand that our bodies need food, right? We understand that negative relationships with food exist. And those people have disorders. They have a health concern that we want to help them fix. Because everyone knows that if you go without food, that you end up what? Starving to death dying within a short, short time of going without food, organs shut down. Your body begins to make all kinds of internal adjustments in order to keep going, in order to save the vital organs, in order to feed the brain for one more hour, two more hours. Your body is an amazing, and is an amazing thing, but the fact of the matter is if you don't feed it, it will not thrive. We are the same way in our spirits and in our souls. Yet we live in a culture where we accept cheap substitutes for the food that really satisfies. We live in a culture where we are living on spiritual McDonald's. We're allowing physical things, external things, natural things, and trying to fill what only God can fill. We're looking to our husbands and our wives and our boyfriends and our girlfriends and our children to fill a love box that only God can fill. I have a great husband. I have a happy marriage. This summer we're, we're celebrating 28 years of our own little magical brand of dysfunction. Oh yes, it's awesome. I've raised four beautiful boys, okay? I love my children, but I set my expectation on God because only he can fill that in me because my kids are going to disappoint me. My husband's going to disappoint me, and I'm never going to get over it if I actually think that their job is to fill that. Are you hearing me this morning? We, it is time for us as Christians, as believers, or maybe you're here and you don't know God, it's time for us as humans created in his image to wake up to the fact that we are spiritually hungry. 
and the good news of the gospel of Jesus for every single person, regardless of your background, regardless of who, how you identify, regardless of any of that, the good news of the gospel of Jesus is that only he can fill and he wants to fill you. Amen? He is not cheap. He is not limited. He is never uh, on a budget. God has an abundance and overabundance of all that we need if we're willing to come to him in a posture that says, God, I need you. I'm hungry for you. You can be in church regularly and still be malnourished. It's true. Because I would go through seasons of that as a young person, growing up in church, knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, and allowing substitutes. We've all kind of maybe walked through those seasons if you've been in church for a long time. Maybe you're new to faith, and, and, you, know, and, and you can sense that, that thing that is crying out for more of God, but also you're pulled by your flesh. That's why it's so important that we feed our spirits. Your spirit man, your soul man, your spirit woman, your soul woman is only going to be as vibrant as the food that you're giving it. You know, the, the food and nutrition and supplement industry is so big, right, in our culture, <laughs> right? So important. You know, we're always looking for that next best supplement. I am that person. I have my favorite little, you know, athletic greens. I love it take it every day. We're always looking for that next thing. Here's the thing about God. There's no secrets. There's no like way around, <laughs> you know, there's no magic, get it all in one little magic bite thing that now they have. <laughs> we have to be in connection with him. You have to be in relationship with him. Religion isn't going to cut it. Checking boxes isn't going to cut it. Settling for a faith that somehow elevates your lifestyle is not going to cut it. We are all about real relationship with God. Amen? I'm getting lost in my own little... Okay, here we go. I have a quote for you from Mother Teresa. The greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It is only a poverty of loneliness, or is not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger for love as there is, right, a hunger for God. There's a hunger for God, but we don't identify it, right? We, we settle for cheap substitutes. We're told, even as children, that, you know, find your purpose, find your talents, find what you're good at, right? And then do those things and somehow, but then you see people who are high achieving in certain areas, all of the money, all of the fame, all of the glory, all of the accomplishment, yet if they don't have God, there's still an emptiness that lives deep inside of every human being. And we kind of fall for this false narrative of, you know, if you do this and do that, then you're going to be happy. And we find ourselves in life disillusioned, even as Christians, because we think that a person is going to make us happy. 
We think that a ministry, uh-oh, is going to make us happy. Nothing is a substitute for my relationship with Jesus, my feeding on his word, my heart posture of saying, God, whatever you have, I'm here. I'm hungry for you. And I just think that, you know, even all the way back to Adam and Eve, when they first messed it up for the rest of us in that garden, what did they do? The next time they heard the voice of God, instead of running to him, they ran away from him. And they began doing something very external, stitching up leaves so that they could cover their nakedness. They began doing external things in order to fill the internal need to connect with God. It happened that fast. And that is the struggle when it comes to spiritual hunger. It lives inside all of us. So we must wake up to the reality that spiritual hunger is in us. It's all around us. And only Jesus is the answer. Either you believe it or you don't. If you believe it, you follow after him. I do think sometimes in Christianity, we can go, we can be kind of, um, kind of fall asleep to this reality. And the Bible says, one of my favorite verses in Romans 12 too, and I read it all the time, is, is um, don't be conformed to the systems and patterns of this world, right? But ye, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know the will of God for your life. So here, listen to this. Don't be conformed. So when I think about the systems and patterns of this world, I do think of like the beat of the world that we're living in, like music, right? It's almost like there's a rhythm and a beat to this world and you can be lulled to sleep. I think the rhythm and the beat of our world right now is pretty much just chaos. And in the midst of the chaos, there's so much to intake. We can almost be lulled to sleep to it around us. When, it, when really what we need to fill us is the supernatural love of God, amen? His word, his truth. Let me read to you what the Bible says, what Jesus said in John chapter six. He, he said this, 33 through 35. This is Jesus talking to the people. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Psalm 107, 9 says, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Our physical, I almost feel like to be human is to hunger, right? Our physical appetites, as big as they are, as many as they are, as all-consuming as they can be, are nothing compared to the need that we have to connect with God. And the crazy thing is, we won't fully realize full satisfaction in that way until we are reunited in heaven. It is then that our relationship with God will once again be perfect, like it was for Adam and Eve in the garden. But the satisfaction, the fulfillment that we can experience here on earth, when we set our expectation on God to fill that part that only he can fill, is how we experience 
the highest form of being human on this earth because the God who created us understands how we need to run. If I built a car and said you have to fill it with gas and change the oil and you filled it with orange juice and never touched the oil, it would not live for very long. Yet God has laid out a plan for our lives and we go day after day ignoring that part of who we are and it's time for us to wake up. We are most of us in this place, Americans or well-resourced human beings, okay? We're in the Western culture where we can resource our way out of spiritual hunger. We mask it, we fill it with other things, we make ourselves feel spiritually proud for things that we do, 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 but at the end of the day, we are a little bit empty because we're not feeding on his word. And I know that's convicting. It's convicting for all of us. Let it, let's consider the woman at the well. The woman at the well that Jesus encountered in John chapter 4. I'm not going to read the whole story and I'm going to need probably a few more minutes on the clock. But the woman at the well in John chapter 4, she comes, she meets Jesus. She comes at noon to the well. Jesus is there, tired from a journey. He's waiting on his disciples. They went to find food. He's sitting at the well. Nobody comes to the well at noon because it's the heat of the day. And here comes this woman. And he asks her for a drink. And she says, why are you talking to me? You're a Jewish man. You're not supposed to interact with Samaritans, let alone a female. And he's like, well, I'm thirsty. Can you get me a drink? And he begins this beautiful conversation, this beautiful picture of how Jesus loves us, how he doesn't care about all the parameters that the world has set up, all the weird boundaries that we have, right? He cares about humans, every single one. Because the truth of the matter is, this woman was at the well at noon, not because she was, you know, an outcast from Jewish people. She was an outcast from Samaritans. She was avoiding her own people. This was actually their well. This was a Samaritan well. And she was avoiding her own people because she had, as Jesus revealed later in the conversation, five husbands, and the man that you're with now is not your husband. And in that moment, the exchange that took place, in the, and he said, woman, if you knew who was speaking to you, I ask you for a drink. If you knew who was speaking to you, you would ask me for living water, and I would give you something, and you would never thirst again. And in that moment, he revealed to her what you've been looking for with all these men, I can give you. And she says, please give it to me because I don't want to have to keep coming back here to this place of shame, self-medicating myself with the same old thing that I know isn't working. I know it isn't filling me. I know it's not quenching my thirst, but it's all I know to do. Some of us are trapped in that pattern. Tell me what I can do so I don't have to keep coming back here. You know, Jesus wasn't avoiding talking about her sin. He made her feel so loved in that moment 
Knowing the truth of the gospel of Jesus isn't about us experiencing shame. It's about us experiencing repentance so we can have a hope. It's about experiencing conviction for your sin so you can have a hope in the future. So you can walk into your purpose of living at peace with God so that you can love the world around you, have an influence, build your company, raise great kids, have a happy marriage, be an influencer in the world that God's put us in. But we got to get first things first. That's why we call prayer first things first, first Saturday of the month, this, this Saturday, 9 a.m. Downstairs, be there. First things first. We got to get first things first. We got to get back to it. We can't just give Jesus a little slot where it fits in. Great. He wants to be first. Spiritual hunger. It lives in all of us. We have to wake up to the hunger that lives in us. He said... The bread of God is bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. It is the only bread that truly satisfies. When Jesus said that, he was talking to Jewish people who totally understood how their ancestors had come out from Egypt and how they went through the Red Sea and how they went through to the wilderness and how for 40 years, God literally dropped down bread from heaven called manna. That was a foreshadowing. That was a picture of what as now believers under the new covenant blood of Jesus Christ, we would experience daily bread from heaven. Instead of manna, it's Jesus. And here's the interesting things about manna. If you read it, I'm going to read it to you. We have no time. Okay. This is what it said about the manna. These are the instructions, okay? Exodus 16, it says, This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Every person. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much. Some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer... The one who gathered much did not have too much bread from heaven. The one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. God has exactly what you need every single day. Amen? Exactly what you need. And here's the crazy thing about the manna. If you tried to save it for tomorrow, it turned to maggots in your pantry nothing but fun. That was a quick lesson, lesson learned. I got that. What helped you yesterday is not going to satisfy you today. Church, we can't live on what God did in 2006 when we planted this church. We can't live on what God did pre-pandemic. We can't coast on for the next couple years, you know, something that God spoke to us at a conference. We need fresh impartation from God daily because what sustained you yesterday is not going to sustain your tomorrow and i'm here to tell you that god has something new his kingdom is not the kingdom of this world as we age it gets better as we walk with him longer life gets better Life gets more full. Life gets more fulfilling. The world comes to tell us that being in a relationship with Jesus limits what we can do. 
But the fact is that being in a relationship with Jesus gives you true freedom because you're empowered to say no to the things that you can't say no to on your own and they limit you. They limit you. That toxic relationship that's inappropriate, it limits you. It might feed your flesh, but it limits your soul and spirit. That, I mean, we have addictions. We have addictions that we go back to over and over again. They limit you, and the enemy knows he's got you. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are made free in Christ. Amen? We are made free in Christ. And as we begin to realize and wake up to the fact that my purpose, my calling, my why, it's him. That's it. It's him. And every day, I am going to go to him, and I'm going to get myself in a posture of revival because I need my bread today. I'm not going hungry. The second component, and I know we're going to end with this, so, you know, here we go. <laughs> the second component is humility. Let me read to you this um, definition of humility. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God, it's being aware of his presence being aware of his holiness, especially in, compa in comparison to ourselves. This definition is not going to get me a lot of clicks, likes, and follows tomorrow morning when it goes out on social media. But I want to tell you the truth, because Jesus said you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Come on. Here's humility. Humility comes from the root word that means dirt. And it's this, the, the, the word picture is to be humble is to be face down in the dirt, submitting to the authority of another without personal pride. This is our posture, not with human beings, with God, the creator of the universe, the king of kings, the one who owns it all. This must be our posture. This is a struggle because I think, I don't know about you, me, I struggle with pride. I think I got it. I think I'm smarter than God for what I need. I think I'm smarter than God with my education and my accolades. I think I'm smarter than God because this is what is really going on down here on this earth, at least according to that news media or that news media. And God, why aren't you doing A, B, and C? We think we know what we need when really God has what we need. You know, we're never going to understand all the things that go on around us. But if we can come to God... In humility, we will be a powerful people. You want to live in power, you want to live with influence, be a person that walks in humility, this kind of humility with God. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Psalm twenty-two twenty-six says this, the poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their heart, hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. I've read these scriptures a lot, and I think a lot of times when we read that word poor, the English language has not very great words to use for interpreting some of the original language in the Bible. This word poor is not just meaning people who lack physical resources. This word poor here is actually the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, poor, 
it means people who recognize their need, who are humble before God. The poor, the humble, will eat and be satisfied. So let me now read to you Matthew 5. I've always wondered why this was the first thing that Jesus said. Firsts are never an accident in the Bible. And Jesus opens the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I always felt like that was a little bit weak. And God's been revealing to me on this topic of humility is that the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are daily facing the dirt before God, being like, God, I'm going to let go of my preconceived notions, my preferences, my accomplishments, the way I think things should be. And I want to humble myself before you because you are God. And if you are who you say you are, you know best for my life. And that's easy to say under lights, right? But when you're walking something out and there's unknown outcomes and unexpected diagnoses and things that are out of our control, we really struggle to remain humble before God. In fact, the very first thing we do is what the enemy does and we begin to question. Remember the devil in the desert with Jesus questioning God's word to his life. The enemy will always come. Is God really God? Will he really do this for you? Did God really say? I mean, the serpent did it in the garden with Eve, right? He still does it with us. It's his oldest plan. And somehow we're like, yeah, hey, wait a minute. Maybe my own way is better. No, face in the dirt. I recognize my spiritual hunger can only be filled by you. And now God, I'm not gonna tell you how you need to do that. I'm going to humble myself before you. I'm going to believe that your word is true. And I'm going to align my life as if I don't know anything. Because one thing I do know, you are God. You are God. And it is in that context that I am going to experience awakening and revival. That I'm going to experience the supernatural power of God. But pride can get in the way. Pride gets in our way. I read this to you as I close and we're done. Second Timothy chapter three is a warning. But understand this, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. If I could sum up something, you know, one word about how the last several years have been, they've been hard, right? How was it for you? It was hard. Okay. So maybe this is us, guys. Okay, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant. That's just the first four. I mean, we're called the selfie generation. I don't know how much more obvious it gets. <laughs> the truth is it lives inside of every human in every generation. You would think in the last days things would be difficult because like there was like murder happening in the streets, right? And it was rampant and all this external stuff was going on. But no, God says in the last days, things are going to be really tough because human beings are going to allow pride to take over their lives. An obsession with self, with our own intellect, with our own ideas, with our own preferences, with our own way.
skip to the end, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And Paul says to Timothy, avoid those people. Here's what I want for our church, okay? As long as I'm in the role that I'm in, standing on this platform on the shoulders of many, many people who have gone before us, that we stay true to the gospel of Jesus, amen? That we stay true to what we know is true about God. That daily we take up our cross and we follow him. We follow him. This answers a lot of scary verses in the Bible that say, you know, at the end of times, people are gonna come and say, but Lord, Lord, we did all these wonderful things in your name. And he's gonna say, depart from me. I never knew you. You who practiced lawlessness. I'm not trying to scare anybody. This isn't fire and brimstone. This is conviction from my own heart. Like I want to be a person in my 50s, 60s, 70s who's better than I was back then. I don't want to lose that fire and zeal that I have for the truth of the Bible that propels me forward. I want my best days to be still in front of me. Amen. And I want to live true to the gospel of Jesus, denying my own flesh. None of us can be perfect, but thank God his mercy is new today. Amen. Thank God that he comes to us like he did to the woman on, at the well. He did not condemn her. He said, you're good. He's like, drink of me. And she went and told everyone, that's revival. Come and meet a guy who told me everything I ever did. Why is that so great? Because he saw everything I ever did and he still loves me. That's how it is with us. He knows everything. We're not hiding from him. Everything you ever did, but he still showers his love on us this morning. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? I just wanna pray as we close. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you've grown a little cold in your heart. Circumstances and situations in our lives, they're real. As real as the ones in the stories that we read in the Bible, real human beings going through really hard things, that is true for us today. Maybe you're here today and you feel like, gosh, you know, Lord, I, I've grown cold in my heart. Maybe you t feel like you've been taking the goodness of God for granted. Today is a day to awaken. Maybe you've accepted some of the lies that the world has been serving up, saying that this, this, and this is going to fill that place in your life, and it never will. It's time to get back to the basics and bring our life in alignment with God's will and experience the true joy of letting Jesus be in control of our lives, the true joy of letting him be behind the wheel, amen, and the one who's calling the shots, submitting our will to his truth. Maybe we've allowed the rhythms of this world and the mundaneness of life to lull you to sleep in some way. Maybe we've become complacent in our pursuit of his presence and his power in the person of Jesus Christ. Psalm 42, one says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. The good news today is that he is right here. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just wanna pray over all of us. Father, we bow our hearts before you today, here in the room and online, and God, we just, we need a fresh touch from heaven. 
Father, we want to be a church of people, individuals, families, singles, all the people that are assembled here. God, we want to be people that live in a posture of revival, that understand that the spiritual and soul hunger that drives us daily drives us to you. God, let us not replace religion for relationship. God, let us not accept the cheap substitutes that the world has to offer to fill that space in us that only you can fill. God, we, we repent for the sin of idolatry of other things above you, even good things. And God, today we ask that you would help us to start fresh, to start new. Forgive us, God. We want you. We want you and only you. And we come today with hearts of humility, with our face in the dirt saying, God, you be the one. We want to do it your way. We lay aside our pride and we ask that you would come and that you would revive us, that you would awaken us, that you would refresh us, Lord God, and that the fruit of that would be souls that are being saved, lives that are being touched, the fruit of the Spirit apparent and evident in our lives, Lord God. We want to see you moving in and through us in our lives, God. We are so hungry for you. We are so thirsty for what only you can give. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I wanna pray for you right now. And I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand with every head bowed and every eye closed. Just raise your hand and we're gonna pray in a moment. If that's you, just would love to know who I am praying with and we're gonna repeat this prayer out loud all across the room. So if you don't have, I'm not gonna call you out, I'm not gonna make you stand up, but if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you need to make that right this morning, go ahead and slip your hand up quickly and we're gonna pray all together. I see that hand, thank you. Anybody else? Yep, see that hand. With every head bowed and every eye closed, one more second, anybody else making that commitment? Maybe it's a recommitment moment for you this morning. Would you repeat this prayer, everyone all together after me? Dear Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Forgive my sin. Forgive my sin of religion. I want a relationship with you, Jesus. Wash me clean, make me new. Help me to walk out of my past and help me to walk into the life you have for me. I belong to you, in Jesus' name, amen.